I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is the Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the sailor's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing culture and life, past, present, and future. Let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, from mega yachts to tugboats to iceboats, and a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Captain Scott Todson. Hey Todd, how are you doing? Um, a little windy down here in the marina. Um, even though they are not giving us a small craft warning, it seems to be a little bit gusty. We've got that new front moving through, so um, it's still pretty good sailing out there. That's great, and it seems like uh, people are responding well to last week's episode, and I understand we have a bit of news. We have had a facelift. Our offshoreexplorer.org has had a facelift, and we've updated the website. It's still a work in progress, but uh, you can go to offshoreexplorer.org and listen to past episodes, which is very exciting. Yeah, we have. Um, we've worked very hard. There's uh, a lot of technical uh, website stuff that uh, professional guys have had to do. But uh, we've actually, you know, we slow rolled it out without telling anybody. And we've had a lot of views. Um, and you'll find all the podcasts on the site, as well as our sponsor links and um, a bunch of other stuff. And, and we're building it up. We're going to put a new, we're going to move the store over there, the ship's locker. And um, it's, you know, these things, they take, they take time. But we're, we're very pre- pleased with the way it looks, and, and we invite you to, to go ahead and explore. Going off of that, make sure you go to offshoreshipslocker.com for all your sailing needs. We have in there special partners of products that, that we endorse, uh, and it will help you to kit out your boat, whatever you need. And on that note, let's uh, talk about what we have planned for today's episode. Yeah, well, today um, I'm dipping into uh, one of my more animated uh, features, which is uh, dinghies and dinghy motors. And I recount a couple of stories about dinghies. I have thousands of stories about dinghies. I have tons of stories about dinghies. Um, the dinghy is is sort of like the automobile for the uh, boat owner. And... Um, you're always using it, and it's always going on, and I have a lot of advice and some very strong opinions, which I hope people will call me on and say, oh, no, 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 and we can start a discussion on dinghies. That'd be great. Okay, great. Take it away, Scott. Let's talk about the second most expensive boat in your two-boat arsenal your dinghy, your annex, as they say in French, your tender. There's a lot of choices to be made, a lot of disparity between what is good quality and what is useful and what the price is around those things. Now, I've had a number of dinghies over my span of sailing, and if you are a person who's intending to or does uh, stay on the hook a lot, um, then dinghies are really, really important to you. I mean, you have the collapsible dinghies, which 
you know, you have to put apart and you put a little, you know, two, three, four, five horsepower uh, engine on and you putter in to the dock. You leave your little boat there and then putter out. Um, this is the minimum you could have. If you get one of those small uh, collapsible kind of canoe-like things and you think this is great because the storage of my boat, you know, and I can, you know, I can put it in a corner and I don't have to think about it. And I take it out and do. The reality is, is that it really sucks unless you're on a lake. I have helped numerous people um, caught in a strong wind trying to get back to their boat in these little collapsible dinghies uh, and they are unable to. They can't row there. Um, the wind is too much. They're saturated with water. They have a limited capacity at carrying stuff. And when you are a cruiser and when you're out on the water and out on the hook all the time, your dinghy is your car. Your dinghy is everything. You use that as much as you use a car. Back and forth between the boat and the dock, going over to other friends' boats, taking the boat, the dinghy out to go to other anchorages where you may not be able to get your boat in to go. For example, scuba diving. I used to have a really beautiful 15-foot Avon with a Yamaha 15 horsepower. Great, great engine. I'm going to get into the engines in a second. But it was an inflatable, and it was great um, to get in and out of, um, to go diving with. It was stable, uh, it could plane, get up, and, and scoot across any kind of choppy water that you would find normally in a bay. And, you know, it could carry stuff. I could put cases of water and sodas and beer and groceries and stay relatively dry on my way out in conditions that were not quite as favorable. So getting into having that, because you have two, two things that are going on here um, in your choice of dinghy. The first is the cost. It's expensive to have a second dinghy, to have a dinghy that is a really good dinghy. And the other thing is storage. How am I going to store this thing on my boat when I go sailing? A lot of guys, I've towed my dinghy, literally towed it across the Caribbean for years. And towing requires a certain, you know, you have to do it a certain way. The reason I like um, certain types of dinghies, for example, I like the Avon, I like the Carib, and of course the Primo Primo dinghy of all time, the best one that's out there is called the Novarina. I had a boat I ran that had a hard type um, dinghy, um, which was a Boston Whaler type, and it had a Johnson um, 30 horsepower, I believe, and uh, this had a very low uh, freeboard, and I, I mean, there's nothing like a Boston Whaler to go scooting around a flat kind of lake-like experience or a flat bay kind of experience. But if you have to go to a beach, for example, where there's a little bit of surf, your Boston Whaler is going to get swamped. I've, I've had it happen to me. You know, I've had it get swamped. I've had, you know, the batter, you know, water 
get all over the batteries. The, the, the whole thing fill up. Um, you know, I've had to pump it out. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's also incredibly heavy. So if you're going to tow it behind your boat, it's a pain in the butt. Now, there is a reason, too, to have a Boston Whaler, which is, is it, it's great for going out and fishing, for example. It's great to go uh, water skiing behind if you have a, you know, a powerful enough motor. So there's a lot of really good things with this. I mean, I have, I have spent many an hour sitting in a Boston Whaler um, actually going lobster fishing. And it works out pretty good. It's, it's better than, than a inflatable in that regard. But I go back to inflatables because inflatables are, without a doubt, my favorite. Okay, And the top of the thing is the Novarina. Um, there is a 15, 18-foot uh, Novarina with uh, like a 40-horsepower Yamaha. I've had three kinds of engines. Let me just address the engines, and this way we can all, if you have some questions about it or arguments or you want to make a point, just leave it in, uh, you know, just give us a, a message, and, and I'll try to answer them in a second time. But my first off is my favorite is is the Yamaha. Super reliable. Um, I had a 15-horse Yamaha that I had for decades, and it was used every day. It got pounded. It got wet. It was underwater once. Um, I, I abused the shit out of that thing, and it kept on running. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because I think it's appropriate. Some friends of mine were going from Madagascar down to Durban, uh, South Africa. It's about 600 nautical miles. They were in a wooden uh, powerboat, about 50-some feet. They had this Yamaha 15-horsepower, which the, it was the captain's private uh, motor, and he had his own dinghy. That he was, that he had up on the on the foredeck because this powerboat didn't have a dinghy or stuff. And like most people, uh, when you have a you know a large enough space, they'll keep the dinghy. The dinghy will be kind of like a life raft. It's it'll be a perp. That would be the purpose for it, um, as well as the day to day um, transportation. So they're going along from Madagascar in the middle of the night cruising along and they hit a log and the log runs right through the hull of the boat. This is not uncommon in this part of the world in Mozambique and stuff. Um, when you have typhoon, typhoons um, and uh, big low pressure things, they rip trees and stuff and cause a lot of debris to be in the ocean. You have to be very careful about it. I have run into some of this stuff and I mean, some of the logs are really huge. And if you hit them the wrong way, um, they'll stop your boat. They'll hole you. They'll put a hole in your boat. So this is what happened to my buddy. He put a hole in his boat, and the boat began to sink. And it was just, he, as he described it, he said, take the biggest tree you've ever seen and take one branch and run it all the way to the midship line. And I went, oh, that big. Yeah, it was like a three-foot rip. So as the boat was sinking, and just as a, an aside for sinking boats, boats don't sink very fast, okay? Um, if you're on a big, um, 
Lusitania ship liner, boats are going to sink relatively quickly, okay, because they're made of steel. But most boats are fiberglass, and in this case it was wood. Um, they take a long time to sink. Um, they go slow. So there is time for you to get your act together, get your um, escape bag, get your dinghy launched, get as much fuel on the, in the dinghy as possible. Now, my buddy was thinking pretty smart at the time, so he put out his life raft. He called Mayday on his radio, and he was kind of in the middle of nowhere, basically, off the coast of Africa. It was about, uh, I think he said about 240 nautical miles back to Mozambique, which is against the current and the wind, or um, go with the current and go with the wind to Durban, which was you know, roughly 260 nautical miles, a long way, to say the least. So he popped his life raft. It was a four-man uh, life raft um, with a cover on it. He put a 55-gallon drum of diesel fuel into the life raft. And he, he threw some pumps in there because they had diesel fuel um, on the boat because they, they didn't have enough diesel to, to make it all the way. And he got all the gasoline that he could find, and he put that in the dinghy. He put they put food in the in the uh, the Avon. It was an Avon, and he had a little fifteen horse Yamaha, and he loaded it up with food. He had his radios, uh, life vests, the whole shooting match, and then he and this fifteen horse started. The boat sank eventually, and um, they just started to tow. Um, the life raft with his dinghy so what he did for this yamaha 15 horsepower was he mixed diesel with gasoline now how he got this to work i have no idea but he did get it to work and it kind of created enough in the engine to keep the engine going and just you know to allow the gasoline to be spread out and eventually, you know, in this combination, the diesel will ignite um, with the gasoline. Um, it just, it, it will foul the plugs. And he, he often, he told me that uh, he had to keep pulling the plugs out, cleaning them, putting them back in. And, but the whole Yamaha 15 horsepower kept on ticking, kept on ticking. He eventually, he and his mate, eventually made it to Durban, okay, came in. And the owner was at the yacht club, and he came down. He says, hey, how you doing? Where's my yacht? Where's my boat? And they had to explain to him after being at sea, okay, for a week that the boat sank and that this is all they had left was the life raft, an empty 55-gallon drum, and they were just, of course, you know, exposed, and both of them ended up going to the hospital to recover. That 15 horse, he kept that because it was in, it kept running and he threw some more gas in the boat, ran it. It was great. Um, and he tells this story. I had met him in the Caribbean where he told me this story. And he had this big old steel hulled boat called Don Juan um, that he was going to be doing charters down in the Amazon. Very adventurous guy. And he had the boat. Um, in uh, Fort Lauderdale or Miami and he had the hull sandblasted and painted 
and um, he had the dinghy motor on the back of the boat, and somebody had come by and stolen it. And which is like probably the worst thing you could have ever happened to that because the thing was, I told him he should have called Yamaha and sent them the motor, just send them the motor and say, look, this is what I did to this motor and here's my story. And they probably would have sent him some, you know, nice 40 horsepower or whatever. And you would have been loving it. And, but he didn't and he lost the motor. So I have a real like affinity and love for the Yamaha motors. Now, my first little, I had a, like a one horsepower Johnson that I used to have on my boat, original boat, um, Steppenwolf. And, um, you know, it was a little putter and, um, it worked pretty well. It was always being always flooded out and very difficult to start. And I had another Johnson 35, I think it was 35 horsepower. Um, boat that was on a Boston whaler that was a part of uh, a package of a boat I was running and I had a lot of problems with the floats in these motors um, primarily because any kind of debris that was in the gas tank you have to keep these gas tanks really clean this is the difference between both the Yamaha and the um, Honda motors is they're very forgiving they they're very precise engines but they'll let a lot of shit go through and you know we oftentimes will have um gasoline and and fuel that will be in will be in these tanks you know the classic red tanks and they'll be just filled up constantly and you know sitting in the bottom of the dinghy and and that's it you know and we kind of don't pay attention to it but they end up getting some growth they end up getting sand all kinds of crazy shit ends up inside these tanks. And you have to really, you know, keep your eye out on maintenance. But it's almost like the last thing you want to do in terms of maintenance. So the Johnson had these float switches and they have these little jets. And the jets were always getting um, clogged with some sort of growth or debris. And I know... I know all you experts out there will be going like, oh, well, you should put, you know, this anti-growth stuff into it. You know, it's like, that's great, okay? But I'm talking about practical world. I'm talking about, you know, filling up a five-gallon or 10-gallon tank um, like every week, just like you do your car. I mean, how, how many people go and, you know, check their gas tank on their car or you know, you just assume things are clean. In the Baja, there's a famous Baja filter that you can filter gasoline through. Kind of not necessary anymore. It's nice to have, but not necessary because in Mexico and in the Baja, their fuel um, handling has improved greatly from um, the late 70s and early 80s. And the, and the fuel is, is, is very clean. Um, but I always like the idea that... Uh, and that filter, by the way, is for diesel engines, not so much for gasoline engines. But in any case, it's as you could tell, I, I'm madly in love with uh, with the Yamaha. But I've also had um, on a Novarina that was a part of a bigger ship that I was running, a bigger uh, yacht. Um, the Nova, the Honda on the Novarina had a 50 horsepower Honda. And then I had another one that had a Honda in, which was a 115 horsepower. 
And I love those motors. They are so quiet. And I mean, they're luxury, luxury. Don't get me wrong. They're not, ex- they're not cheap. And if there's anything you could take from, from this uh, diatribe I'm going through with about dinghies is that if you spend the money on a dinghy, you're going to be really happy. If you try to get by on saying, well, oh, I don't know, I can't get this up on my deck, or it's got to be really small. Look, you can buy. I bought a little, I had a Carib. Now, if you don't know the history of this, the Italian guys that created Novarina, which is an awesome company and just brilliant, brilliant dinghies, okay, tenders, as, as the big boats would call them, but they have smaller ones that are really brilliant. They're tough, they're UV resistant, which is the key thing, and, and you know, hard bottom, put a motor on them, they're efficient, you can keep them clean, they're wonderful things. The drawback is, is they're kind of heavy to a certain extent, but they are, but they are really useful. And, and when you're, it's like a car, it's like, okay, are you going to do a, a, a Yugo for, that's what you're going to drive back and forth, you know, uh, 10 hours a day or whatever the case may be. And that, you know, that car's going to fall apart on you. And that's what happens to these cheaper dinghies. You're going to end up using it a lot and it's going to fall apart. And if you don't use it a lot and you leave it, leave it sit around, it's just going to dissolve under the sun and just wear and look terrible. And in a couple of years' time, you're going to be buying a new dinghy. So my advice is get the best dinghy you can afford. Um, find a way to make it fit. Remember, you probably end up towing it most of the time when you're sailing. Yes, it doesn't enhance your sailing performance. But if you're cruising, you can live with that. You really can live with that. So these uh, Novarina started by a couple of Italian guys, um, brilliant, brilliant engineers. They sold the company and they moved uh, to Venezuela and they had a do not compete clause in their sales contract. But they started a new company in Venezuela where their do not compete clause didn't apply sort of. So this is what they did. They started another company called Carib. Same materials, same boat, same everything, half the price. I bought a Carib um, after my Avon had sunk. And the story behind that was, it's actually twofold. I was in St. Thomas, and my poor Avon dinghy had been punctured so many times in the bow that every time I got in the boat, every morning... Um, I'd, I'd have to, I have the foot, foot pedal and I'd, I'd have to pump that sucker up cause the bow would just fall down. And I had uh, patched it myself. I had taken all the patches off and sanded it and prepared it, cleaned it, put patches back on it. It would be inflated for like three days and then it would die. I took the bow, um, took the whole dinghy into a guy who does that kind of work professionally, even though I think I was doing it exactly the right way. And um, he did it. A week later, the bow of the boat was down. So it was just like on a kind of on its last legs. And it was put, I was being, you know, pushed around with a 15 horsepower Yamaha, 
which I love the motor. I love the motor. But when I was in getting the bow um, looked after, a guy said, hey, we have a sale on Yamahas. I said, really? And he would take my 15 horsepower as a trade-in, and there was a big discount. And if you know anything about um, being in the Caribbean, everything costs a lot more because of the shipping. So it's always a little extra to get to get things there. I tell this story before about shipping. And so in any case, I'm, I pulled the trigger and I got a 40 horsepower because one of the things that you'll find when you have a dinghy is you get a little competitive ego-wise. When you see these guys scooting around your anchorage and they got a brand new dinghy, they got a nice powerful motor, they're whipping across at 30 miles an hour, and you're, you know, puttering home after drinking all night and, you know, with your wife and girlfriend or maybe both, and, you know, both of them are sitting there getting wet, you know, and oh yeah, it's a joyful time, but we're covered with water and we're a little drunk and blah, 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 rah, rah, rah. You get jealous. You say, man, I wish I had one of those really nice dinghies with a really powerful motor that we can just pop in, feel dry, boom, take off. Everybody will look at us and go, that's not a dinghy. That's a tender. It's not a dinghy. That's a tender. It just makes you feel so much better. It's like having a nice car, right? We all love nice cars. We all love new cars, no matter what they are. We love a new car. Can't afford a new car sometimes, but, you know, that's the way it is. But I'm kind of trying to implore you when you do go down the dinghy road. Don't sell yourself short because a lot of shit is going to be involved with that dinghy. A lot of your attitude, a lot of your transportation, is going to come and go, things you're going to move back and forth. And if you have a really good dinghy, by the way, I'll just say this because I found this to be true, is that I spent less time on the dock when I had a nice, when I upgraded my dinghy because I can move stuff back and forth. I didn't need to go and say, oh, okay, I got to go to the dock because I need to pick up, you know, 10 cases of beer or whatever the case may be or all the groceries and all the rest of the stuff or I have to pick up some, you know, I actually redecked my boat, my entire boat, on the hook um, because I couldn't do it in the in the marina um, because the the dust and they didn't want me doing it there. So I went out on the hook, and the fact that I had a large enough dinghy to move materials back and forth between land and and my boat allowed me saved me that you know 75 to 100 bucks per day in the dinghy in the uh for the dock so there's ways that if you have something nice you could look at it you can justify it in your in your in your mind that okay you know i could i could spend some money on a better dinghy because i'm going to save money on um on dockage hmm yeah consider that so I've got this poor dinghy, the bow keeps going down, and I trade in my 15 horsepower, which by the way, I had for around 10 years. And I, oh, I mean, I liked it. I was very happy with it. I, I just, it, 
but I kind of got this thing like I saw other guys driving around with 40 horsepowers and they were just zooming past me and I was kind of, you know how that goes, guys. You know how that is. It's like, I need a little more horsepower in my life and um, just need to look better. And uh, so anyway, I bought the 40 horsepower, put the 40 horsepower on my Avon 15-footer and it was like night and day. Boom. Boy, I had power, I had speed. Um, the boat, it was amazing how well the boat ran, but I still had this problem with the bow. And I wanted to buy a new dinghy. Well, I was down in Nevis, and um, I was on my boat, and I had my, you know, my Avon was always in the water on the outside with the 40 horsepower. And we had this big swell coming in. And if anybody has been to Nevis, um, to the Four Seasons there, they have this funky little dock that comes out where all the passengers um, and the guests um, come and go from. And um, it's not that high off the water, but when there's a good swell, um, the swell will come up underneath the dock and and make it quite hazardous to uh, keep the boat on the dock. Um, they had a fishing charter boat, which had about 18, 20 people on and local guy. And he had brought his boat up to the dock to get these people off his boat. And he had risen up on the swell and hold his hull in the, the dock, but just at the waterline. And he was, I mean, he had ripped a nice hole in it and he was taking on water and he had called me on the radio because I was at anchor, um, perfectly okay. The swell was just rolling underneath me, no big deal. So I jumped in my dinghy. I went over and I took the passengers and I brought, I was taking the passengers off the boat and I was taking them back over to the dock. And then we were timing the rise up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And we finally got everybody off, and he was able to to get a little. I have helped him get a little patch on it, on his hull, um, uh, which uh, we use some diapers, and um, which are great diapers and um, tampons, great for holes in boats um, because they take on the water, they swell, and they get pretty tight. And um, always good to have in case of an emergency. And uh, they also suck up a lot of water, so they're good to have, you know, they're, they're good to have in your bilge to clean up oil and other stuff that might spill down there. So um, we kind of got him set. He was, he was off and he was off back to uh, St. Kitts where he kept his boat and he was going to take it into the yard there right away and get it up. So the swell started to go to go down a little bit and um i went back to the dock and when i came back to the dock and i can't remember the reason i came back to the dock but when i came back to the dock um just a huge swell caught me drove the bow of my avon my my old gray avon with the the slowly dissolving bow underneath the dock and it just filled with water and just popped it and it was everything i could do in the last instance to get the gas tank out and to get the 40 horsepower literally i took the 40 horsepower 
off the boat with one arm, one hand, lifted it up and put the engine up on the dock. And I hopped up on the dock and the boat just swung underneath. The dinghy swung underneath the dock and just got crushed. I was without my dinghy, but I still had my motor. That's maybe one of the worst things that could happen to a dinghy getting it caught up on a dock, getting it crushed against a pylon or something like that, they don't do well. You know, hard dinghy might, might have done a little bit better, but in that circumstance, I would probably swamp it anyway. Um, so it just it was a bad situation. Trying to do good in a bad situation and, and just I just screwed it up. I didn't, you know, I couldn't keep the boat away from the dock. That was the bottom line there. But I hopped, uh, got back in my boat, got my engine back out, and I went to St. Martin. And luckily, um, I had enough money at the time to buy myself a nice Carib. And I, the Carib I bought was a little three and a half meter, 3.5 meter Carib. Now, this did not have a solid four. Um, it had the panels that go in the bottom of the floor, which is great. And it made for a really perfect kind of driving around. But I was really over horsepowered with the 40. And it was, I put that thing on there and it was a little bit crazy, but it was like so much fun. This thing was so fast, a little three and a half, six, you know, seven feet and a 40 horsepower. I was flying. It's like super horsepower drag racing time. I could beat anybody, even a couple of the South African guys that had some pretty souped up dinghies. Um, I could outrun them. I mean, this and nothing. But what happened was the hypalon that the dinghy is made of. That's that was perfect. That never never had a problem with that. Even even in sun, it was white sun no problem it stayed strong but the floor because it was these panels that you fit in the bottom of the floor you most of you have been around them know what i'm talking about they began to crack there's so much power in the floor that they began to crack and in fact i ended up fiberglassing them all to keep the keep the dinghy because i wanted to get a bigger dinghy i just didn't at that time i needed one more charter to get another dinghy um, and I wanted to get a really good dinghy. I wanted to get another Carib, which to me, and based on everything I knew, is exactly like the Novarina. So um, the whole flooring was like collapsing. So make sure, future-wise, you don't make the same mistake that I made, is that you got to match up the horsepower with the dinghy itself. Because if you have just a, a soft floor dinghy, and you have a little motor on it, um, yeah, don't put something big on it. Just, you know, nice and small because that floor will collapse. It will break. It will, and it, I mean, it happened pretty fast. I mean, it happened like the third time I ran it. Any case, so that was my experience with, with that. I eventually did get a 15-foot uh, Novarina, approximately 15-foot. I put that 40 horsepower on it, and it was just, and I, I shouldn't say Novarina, but Carib. 
Um, and it was just wonderful to have. And I could go anywhere. I could beach it. I could go diving, which I did a lot of the diving. Some later episodes, I'm going to talk about some of the diving exploits. And it was just very utilitarian, very good looking, um, had no problem in towing it. So when you're setting up to tow your dinghy, one of the key things that you want to have is, first of all, in the dinghy itself, in the bow, there should be a nice eye uh, that goes through the bow, um, through the fiberglass. You tow by that. That's the best way. I've seen people set up bridles where they tow um, from the top of the of the dinghy that they that there's a, there's an attachment there's d rings that are that are glued onto um, the top. Uh, this is not going to serve you very well for very long, so it's better to tow it underneath um, the bow with a nice big eye bolt that goes through the dinghy and is fastened to the other side. And the reason is is because when you do tow it, okay, it's going to lift the bow up, all right, and it's going to keep the bow up as you're as you're going along because there'll be a wake and towing requires you to have some length in line. So when you're towing your boat, you want the dinghy to sit just on the top to the backside of the boat's wave. So in other words, the boat creates a wave and behind it, it goes down and then it rises up and there's a wave that follows it. So you want your dinghy just to be on top of that wave, but just a little bit behind the apex of the wave so that it stays in one position. Okay. So it doesn't get up and then just run down and that line that you've put out there. And I would suggest using polypropylene because it floats and you know you you could use um the uh different kinds of performance braid um hybrids um some of those will 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 serve you very well but i like the idea that poly uh floats and the reason i like it is because i'm i've had enough experience to know that Getting a line caught in your prop is no fun at all. And it's very difficult to get out. And it's underwater. And it's usually the boat is going up and down to try to knock you out while you're under there trying to cut it out. With a serrated knife, by the way, I might add. A good serrated knife would be perfect. Um, but anyway, poly is a good thing to do. So use the eye bolt. If there's not one there, put one in yourself to drag your dinghy along behind your back. Now I've towed plenty of boats. I, I ran vessel assist in Marina del Rey for like five years. I towed every day for five years, um, all sorts of different kinds of boats. But one thing is, is if you tow, all right, make sure that that line is attached on your boat, uh, to something as close to the center line of your boat as possible. And make sure it's as high up as possible. If it's a deck fitting, fine. Just make sure that deck fitting is pretty solid. And what you do is you have you 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 have a hook. Now, how do you how do you hook onto the boat? Um, usually, I w- always used a very very heavy snap hook. 
um, that usually served me just fine. So I snap it on, I could take it off easily with one hand, okay? But heavy duty, and then have the whole thing braided and, you know, really tied into the, the polyprope um, really strong. And the other thing is, is when I have that hook, and then I would, I would tie it off on uh, one of my cleats. And then the cleat would run through, and, and it, sometimes I'd even put, like, leather up underneath it wherever I finally set it. Um, I had these little uh, pieces of leather that you could actually clip on. I found them in Turkey, I think. And you can actually clip on as, as to stop the abrasion on the line. Because poly will, um, the abrasion on poly, it'll eat through the line. So anyway, you're, you're towing your boat. You want it to have as little um, resistance as possible. You want it to float, and you want it to keep kind of some momentum behind the boat. So when you start out, you just sort of feed the boat out. You feed the line out, let the boat get back, get it up, up on top of the wave, just near the back of the wave rather than the front so it doesn't come down the, the wave and turn sideways, and you're yanking it, and it's snapping the line and all the rest and that way it'll settle in that line let out enough line you may even want to go to the next wave because there's one wave there's two waves there's waves behind you you may even want to go to the next line if you're going for really long distance right and that way that line can stay in the water a little bit if you watch people tow if you watch tugboats and stuff like that oftentimes the line will go uh down into the water Okay, and it will come back up to the barge, and so you have this this big sag in the line, and the barge once it gets momentum and the tug gets the right speed, that line will stay in there. And then when you start to slow down and you're getting closer to where you're going to anchor or dockage or whatever, have your mate or yourself just start pulling in the line and get the get the dinghy tight up behind you so that there's no extra line flopping around in the water to get into your prop. Because that, my friend, is no fun. So once you have your dinghy, and always remember, of course, to put your engine up so you're not dragging the uh, prop through the water. And uh, attaching the engine to the dinghy is pretty straightforward. Um, but I, I often kind of always worried about it getting, getting knocked off somehow you know, a wave or something and, you know, didn't tighten up the toggles tight enough or something, you know, I always had that kind of worry. So I did use a bolt uh, from the engine through the back of the um, stern of the, of the dinghy to, to make sure that the dinghy stayed there. Um, but for the most time, if I was going on a really like a longer sail, I would always take the motor off and I'd put the motor up on the deck. Um, and if, if I was just going from here to there, you know, a couple hour sail or whatever the case may be, I just would leave it in the water. I went through a couple of hurricanes with just towing the dinghy like that it was just no problem, but I did not have the, I didn't have anything in the dinghy at all. No gasoline tank, um, nothing. I had no motor and I had it all up. So that's kind of how you organize, um, that's kind of how you organize all that. And I just want to call back to the idea that when you have a dinghy, it's your second boat. Take pride in it. It will t- it will engender pride in yourself. 
and um, it's really convenient to have something that moves along quite nicely. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun. Um, and if you treat your dinghy right um, and you buy something that's decent, I know that there's a lot of people that get like PVC type dinghies. Um, that's great if you live in the northern climates. Um, there's because the UV, but with climate change, I'm sure that PVC is its life is is uh, numbered. Days of its life are numbered. So get the best you can buy. Invest in it. Figure out a way you can keep it up on your deck. Um, if you're in the marina, uh, try to keep it out of the water because you know you'll need to put anti foul on the anti foul paint on the dinghy itself. Um, because a lot of these marinas will, um, you know, there's a lot of growth. Um, I always set up a nice little halyard system on my foredeck and, um, that way I could lift, uh, the dinghy up. Um, I would lift the dinghy up and, and usually in a dinghy and the better dinghies with the hard bottom, um, there's rings, D rings, or um, eye eye bolts that are in the bottom, so that you could set up a nice little lift, and um, and then sort of uh, use a block and tackle and get it up on the boat and get it over. Um, one of the things that in my dream of dreams, and um, I've had it before when I've run other people's boats, um, is my dream of dreams is to have a dinghy garage. I would live in the dinghy garage, to be honest. I love dinghy garages. Just to bring the dinghy up, put it underneath, you know, have the have the platform come up, close the back of the stern of the boat up, and the dinghy is in there. It's done. You don't have to tow it. You don't have to lift it. You don't have to do anything to it. And it's just in the garage. That part I love. That's my dream. So I, I'm never going to buy another boat without a dinghy garage. I don't care about the room and the rest of the boat. I just want a nice place for a nice dinghy. Because, to be honest, folks, once you have a nice dinghy, you're going to spend a lot of time using it. Okay? You're going to be out in an anchorage. The first thing you do is hop in the dinghy and go someplace. You're going to go into that bar. You're going to need to go into that bar. You're going to have to do through go through some surf, possibly. Okay? You're going to have to go up to a dock. You're going to have to have yourself a little, a little dinghy anchor right? So you could put that dinghy out there, all right? And then bring a line into the, into the, uh, into the sand in the, on the beach, you know, so the thing can sit out there at anchor all by itself, just beyond the surf. And then you can take the line and you can just pull the line in and pull the boat in and jump in and guys can take off through the surf. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of technique involved. Um, if you, if you have a place that's, uh, that you're going to be going that has, um, you know, coral in the shallow parts and stuff where you're going to have to walk your boat through, your dinghy through. Um, always recommend uh, having yourself a, a, a good pair of sandals um, that can take the water and uh, walk in the water with or, or some dive shoes, you know, that have a bottom to them that you can, um, you can walk over the water, over the um, coral. You know, these little things you learn as you go on. Um, another thing is, is if you're going to be wearing pants, uh, make sure they can dry pretty fast on their own. That's a biggie. Um, there's nothing like sitting in a bar drinking with wet shorts, which is terrible. 
Um, so anyway, that's just my little take on uh, dinghies. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of discussion. Um, go ahead and just send me the messages, folks. Uh, we can get into it. Um, dinghies are a very personal kind of thing. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of advice out there and on various different things about, you know, what the best thing to do is. But quite honestly, um, get a nice hard bottom dinghy. If you can find a Carib, it's less expensive than Novarina. But if I could afford a Novarina, I would get a Novarina. Um, ideally, I love the Novarina uh, Como 18. Best, best, best. It has a center console which is a little big for most boats. Um, but you can get, you can have the console taken out and you can have like a smaller version of that kind of Nova Rena uh, Como. And, um, but Carib has some of the same stuff. Um, they have more practical stuff. You can get uh, a nice, a nice solid dinghy that's going to last you for years. If you don't get it caught up underneath docks or catch a nail on a dock when you go in. Um, to, you know, run into happy hour or whatever the case may be. And only one little thing that I will add to, to dinghies and dinghy docks. A lot of damn thieves out there. And I always had a chain that I would use the chain. I would, it would be around the motor. The chain would be around the motor with the lock. And of course, you know, you have your safety, safety, um, uh, the, safety switch thingamabob and i would use that and i'd run the 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 wire actually i run the um coated wire um up around the dinghy and then i would hook it onto someplace on the dock that um i could um lock so that somebody wouldn't jump in my dinghy and take off and i have been guilty of getting in the wrong dinghy and trying to leave um Yes, um, because it looked exactly like mine, and I couldn't figure out why the lock didn't work. But in any case, there's a whole setup you can do with that, and that's kind of a cool setup to keep it. But the other thing is, is and I, I, I want to talk about the safety switch. You know, the little red thing with the little clip, the safety clip that goes in to kill the motor, whatever. Whatever you do, folks, please, 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 always have that thing plugged in and have it on your wrist. And we had a very tragic incident once. We were all having a party on a boat. And this young girl, young woman, uh, she had come over with, in fact, a brand new Novarina center console. Very powerful. And it had twin 115s on it. And probably 22 feet. It came from, it was a tender for a larger yacht, but she was invited to this party with a bunch of us uh, old scallywags. And um, she'd had a couple of drinks. She, thanks, was very nice. And she went in, started the motor, right? And she didn't have a lot of experience with this boat. She put it into gear, all right? And not realizing how powerful this thing was that she only had to just touch it. Pushed it, it went off. She fell out of the boat and the dinghy took off. 115 horsepower, full on, all right? And it started to go around and it went around in a circle, came up. She came up from under the water up and her face took the prop and it cut her face right across 
high cheekbone, almost lost her eye, all the way down, almost lost her complete jaw, that part of her jaw. Her jaw was, bone was actually sliced. It was a terrible situation, beautiful girl. And it took everything that we could do to get that dinghy away from the boat and away from her and to get her into our boat and get render her first aid. And she was bleeding so much. It was such terrible incidents, so much blood. We were actually worried about sharks. We got her into a dinghy. Um, we raced her to the hospital. This was in St. Thomas. Um, she got care. Um and and eventually had a lot of plastic surgery and if she had had that safety clip around her wrist and in the boat when she fell back that would have killed the switch killed the boat and the boat wouldn't have gone anywhere it would have floated off the engine would have been turned off we could have gone after the bit got it brought it back got her in the boat and it would have been just a humiliating kind of sailing experience which you get over because if you haven't been sailing you haven't been humiliated and if you haven't been humiliated go sailing and she would have been safe but because she didn't have the clip kill switch she has a scar that runs basically from almost the top of her head all the way around to underneath her jaw i saw her a few years later her name is mindy and um, she's from South Africa, and she is—you—you uh, you would never see the scar. She's had some brilliant uh, facial um, reconstruction. She's just fantastic. And she's very lucky at that. But she does. She lost a bunch of teeth. Um, She—the blade literally went through her cheek, through her teeth, and and split her jawbone. So, whatever you do, folks, have the kill switch plugged in. Have it around your wrist. Good, good practice always. So that's my thing on dinghies. I could talk about dinghies forever and ever and ever. But if you have some questions, um, get in contact. Uh, leave a message. I'll be happy to answer them. Um, if you get some criticisms, um, I'll listen to them. And um, we'll go from there. All right. Thank you. That was that was kind of scary. The whole thing of the the girl getting hit by the prop. I mean, you know, how how often does something like that happen? Well, it happens more than you would think. Um, a lot of people do not uh, care, do not use that lanyard, um, and I know I am completely guilty of not doing that sometimes. And um, but uh, she was in a boat that was much. She wasn't used to. It was very powerful. And um, literally, this boat could could stand up and do a wheelie almost. That's how powerful it was. And um, I know I, I only, for the sake of graphic um, politeness, I only talk about the blade coming around and cutting her face once. Um, the, the boat actually hit her twice. And a friend of mine actually leaped into the water and... and hit the boat so it would change course and he almost lost his leg we eventually corralled the dinghy after it ran out of fuel and um yeah it was it was a horrific night we we got her to the hospital right away um and then she was um um from there to uh, from st thomas to miami 
um, where they operated on her face. And uh, it was just it's an incredibly sad affair. But it is something that's happened. I, I mean, I've seen people with little 15 horsepower motors um, standing up. Um, and, you know, like sometimes they put the throttle, they put a pole on the throttle, a tube on the throttle so they can move forward to get the dinghy up and planing. And it's too far for the lanyard to reach. And boom, um, you know, you see them fly off or hit something. It's, it's crazy. Dinghies can be very dangerous. Um, but uh, having a good dinghy is a really important part of, of sailing. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, and, and listening to the episode, it seems like uh, it's quite a bone of contention, or at least it's a very um, important... People have a lot of strong opinions about dinghies and their favorite dinghy, and, um, and I'm sure that people will have a comment about uh, which, which motors they prefer and which dinghies they prefer. And, you know, as always, you can go to uh, Offshore Explorer's uh, Facebook page. Um, we have a pretty active community there if you want to, to chime in and tell us about uh, what dinghy you use for your boat and, and you know, what, uh, what motor you use and what's your favorite. Because um, it seems to me like it's almost like sporting teams. Everybody's got their favorite one. Well, right? I think it's a little <laughs> bit uh, not to contest with you, but I think it's a little bit more than that. I mean, there's there's a lot of cheap shit out there, to be honest. And Honda and Yamaha um, are the two uh, premier brands. And, and you can talk to anybody who uses dinghies a lot, professional people. And they will tell you that this is those are the those are the two choices, and of course my dream is always the Novarina. That's that's the creme de la creme, and um, my point I guess is just to tell everybody, you know don't don't cheap on a don't get cheap on a on a, a dinghy. Just get uh, get what's needed. Get a strong utilitarian strength wise dinghy. Yeah, and of course if you. You know, you might be dependent upon it to save your life, you know, if you get stranded out in the middle exactly. of the ocean, you know, it's, you don't want to cheap out on your life. Um, and on a, on a, on a less sober note, uh, what do we have planned for oh, next week? Um, we, we're actually planning to have a guest, um, uh, interview. Um, we're putting that, we're putting that together and we'll have more information about midweek and, um, I'll give, uh, I'll give an alert as to that, but I think it, it, I have two guests lined up, hopefully, um, both of which uh, travel a lot. So we're trying to squeeze in some time, but uh, it should be really interesting um, conversation. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Itomi and Tommy Twain. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas.